Each week we've had a theme, and this, this week's theme is poor. And we know that the poor are all around us, and the poor in our midst. And po- poverty is something that's very relative, depending on your surroundings. Poor in our country looks very different than poverty in another country. I've had the privilege of traveling overseas on missionary trips, and I've seen poverty in Uganda, Africa. My first mission trip, driving through the capital city of Kampala, and looking off to the right as we entered the city, and there's this, this downhill slope of red mud with homes made out of just uh, cardboard boxes and, and corrugated metal, and they're just sandwiched side by side of little paths to walk between. There's not a blade of grass anywhere to be seen, no trees, people with, with scantily clad clothing. That's poverty. Well, I was in um, Namibia two years ago. Dave and Sandy Eccles took us to a place where there's a a city dump. And people actually live at the the dump because they take the castaways from other people and they actually build their homes out of the appliance and automotive parts and the plastic and the glass and the wood that they find. And actually, they build a shelter in which to live. That is poverty. My wife's gone to India and she said immediately when they got off the plane in, um, in Delhi... She said, you could just smell poverty. You saw it everywhere you look. People all over the streets, beggars everywhere. Poverty is all around us. There are a lot of scriptures that speak of poverty. And a lot of, a lot of us are aware that in the world, there are more than 950 million people that are chronically hungry. About half the world lives on less than $2 a day. Every single day, about 16,000 children die um, from not having enough food to eat. That, that is about one for every five seconds. On top of that, you've got people growing up in cultures not eating well that leads to the lack of energy. It leads to stunted growth and it leads to um, uh, immune deficiencies to where disease is pretty rampant among their myths. Last week, we learned from the singer Bono that in the video, if you were here, there are more than 2,100 scriptures that speak of poverty. I mean, it's all over in Scripture. But here's a couple from the Proverbs that speak to us so clearly. Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Proverbs 28, 27. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. We have a responsibility to the poor. And that's why during this season of November, this season of generosity... We've given a lot of opportunities to listen to the cries of the poor. For little boys and girls who never get to celebrate Christmas, we have the privilege of wrapping up a shoebox. And I saw some of you bringing those in today. Shoeboxes filled with little toys and trinkets. For some little boy or girl, it's very likely the only Christmas gift that they'll get. And in that gift will be some information about who Jesus is and an opportunity to learn more about Christ. We introduced you to a local ministry, the Springs Rescue Mission, and a program they have called the Family Mentor Alliance. And the Family Mentor Alliance enables people like you and I to come along beside those who are working out of uh, a lifestyle of homelessness to get back on their feet, to get stability, to have a place to live and a job and provide for their families. But one of the things they lack is a network of people who love them and care for them. And 15 couples from our church signed up to go through training to become mentors in the Family Mentor Alliance. Last week, we introduced you to something we've done for many years, um, Thanksgiving, Christmas, excuse me, Thanksgiving um, food baskets. And we put together these huge baskets that'll feed a family of four, like a family of eight, or a family of 12. And we put in that a turkey and 
cranberry sauce and stuffing and, and potatoes and rolls and all the fixings that will make up for a great Thanksgiving meal. And many of you, last week, I think there were 70-some um, baskets that were actually claimed that, that, that those of you went out there and that table is to the left when you walk in the door or walk out these doors today, there's a display there that lists those families with needs that they have. And these are real families with real physical needs, and we're able to help them. That's one of the ways that we as a church are helping those who are dealing with poverty. But we're going to look at a scripture today that I hope gives us a fresh perspective on what it means to be rich and what it means to be poor. Because some of you today would feel like, you know, you're kind of poor. In your state of life, and maybe you're single, maybe you're young, married, I don't know what it is, but maybe you're living on retirement, you feel like, I, I, I would consider myself kind of poor. Uh, and some of you are pretty well off financially, but you're going to learn from a very key scripture from the example of Jesus, maybe a new definition of poverty and wealth today. So let's pray as we get ready to read this scripture. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you speak to us through your truth. Lord, help us to understand how we can be used by you to alleviate poverty in this world to meet the needs of those that you love. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, I know the verse is in your bulletin too, so if you want to take the easy route, you can just look there as you're taking notes, but it's right there. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth, and he's telling them about a group of churches in Macedonia. Macedonia was a region, a region in which Paul had planted churches like one in Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica, and these churches had endured some very severe um, trials that had made them pretty poor financially. And yet in the midst of their poverty, he says, their hearts welled up with rich generosity and they gave to, to support Paul in his ministry. And so Paul's encouraging the Corinthian church to follow their example. But then he calls for a, a higher standard. He says, not only do I want you to look to the human example, I want you to look to the example of Christ. So here's what he says in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you know that. You've experienced that. Grace is, is maybe the most beautiful word in all of Scripture because grace comes to people who don't deserve it. Grace comes to people who forfeited the right to receive anything good. In fact, grace isn't fair. Grace is beyond fair. Grace doesn't give you what you've earned. Grace gives you really what you forfeited. It gives you the opposite of what you've earned. So because of our sins, we, we deserve the penalty of separation from God and eternal death. And yet Jesus took our sin upon himself so that we could be released from that, freely released if we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and have the hope of eternity with him. We become rich in Christ. I love the, the explanation of grace like this. It's just an acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. God makes us spiritually wealthy through what Jesus went through on the cross for us. And so God calls us to imitate Jesus in our lifestyle, to become people who are making other people rich because he's made us rich. And in order to do that well, we have to shift in some of our thinking. I want to share with you three shifts that I think are very significant because some of us do a lot of good things for people, but we can do better. And this is how we can do better. First of all, here's a shift we have to make. Go beyond giving to serving. Go beyond giving to serving. We've all been conditioned in our culture to see the needs of people in poverty, and then we pull out our credit card, pull out a checkbook, pull out our wallet, and we respond. And that's just kind of natural. You see an advertisement with a, a little skinny child, and it looks hungry, and it pulls at your heart. And you want to say, I want to make sure that little boy gets something to eat, so I'm going to write a check out. 
And that's a natural response, and it's a, it's a helpful response. It's something that we do, and, and frankly, I think in our culture, Americans do pretty well at that. But here's the problem. If all we do is write a check, it has very limited impact. In fact, there was a, there's a couple guys who, who authored a book. The book's title is When Helping Hurts. And they make a case that oftentimes our approach to alleviating poverty actually doesn't do a lot of good. That after years and years of giving benevolence help, sending money, sending clothing, sending food, we've actually entrapped people in systems that keep them in poverty. One of the stories I remember hearing in a, in a, in a message about this is a church in the United States that decided to send eggs to, to those in Haiti because they'd just gone through, I think it was a, a hurricane. And so they decided to send eggs because eggs are a good source of protein, and it helped a lot of people. It was just free food. People loved it. The problem was the local farmers who had chickens and who needed to sell eggs for their living lost their business. They couldn't sell eggs anymore because everyone was getting them for free. So they had to close down their farms. And then a few years later when the church decided to stop sending eggs to that village, they couldn't find eggs anywhere because nobody was raising chickens who were producing eggs anymore. And it just entrapped them in this paternalistic relationship to where we, the, the rich big brother, get to help you who are the poor person. And we help them until they cry for help again and we just keep doing that. But they never get out of their place because their greatest need isn't, isn't our stuff. Their greatest need has more to do with opportunity and education and training so that they can take care of their own needs. And oftentimes in order to do that, we've got to come along beside them and walk with them in their place of struggle. We have to move beyond uh, giving to serving. Think about it. When God so loved the world, he sent his one and only check. Is that what God did? No, he sent his one and only son, a person, who immersed himself in our culture, who got to walk with the people that he was going to save. And the greatest contribution we can make to those in need is to come along beside them, to walk them along them, and give them something they really long for, which is a relationship with the person. See, I think that's one of the ways our government has really hurt our culture. Government should be about protecting the rights of people and justice and all that, but our government's gotten in the business of providing aid to people. So here's what we do. We take money from these people so we can give it to these people. And yet the people who receive money from the government... I rarely hear them say, like, man, those people in government love me so much. They're so sweet. They're so tenderhearted. Because we've taken the person out of it. We've taken the relationship out of it. But it's very powerful when you give and you have a relationship with those that are receiving. We, we make contact with the people. In Philippians 2, we've gone back here every week to this passage, but it's so um, typical of what Jesus did for us. It says in Philippians 2 that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. I wish every person would have at least one experience of going on a cross-cultural mission experience. Maybe going to um, the orphanage that we support in Mexico. And you get to hold one of those little children who was given over to the orphanage to raise. Or maybe you could go to Namibia like we did and go and walk the streets where Dave and Sandy minister. I remember going to that dump that I talked about and we walked among the people and got to visit with them, walk inside these little homes uh, that were made of automotive parts and appliances and seeing where they live and where they cook their food. And I remember seeing one lady, very, very slender woman, and she had this really rickety tent 
kind of structure that was her home, and she was just sitting out at very quiet by a fire. And we were asked, because we were church people, if we could come and pray over her. We found out that she had AIDS. And so we walked over there, my wife and I, and, and a couple others gathered around her and placed our hands on her shoulders and on her head and prayed over her. And when we were done praying, this lady made a comment to the missionaries. And we didn't understand what she was saying because it was in Afrikaans or another language we didn't understand. And when we walked away, we said, what did she say? And, and, and they told us how she was so blessed and shocked that we would actually touch her. Because she was kind of an outcast. Because of AIDS, nobody would come near and actually physically touch her. I mean, we could have left a, you know, a bill, some money at her feet and walked away, but the fact that we just we got close enough to where we could actually touch her made an impact. God came close enough to where he could touch us. And so there's some power in moving from just giving and writing the checks to actually picking up the ladle and serving someone who's close enough within arm's reach. That's a shift in thinking from just giving, and not that giving's bad by itself, it's helpful, but we have to go beyond that to actually get ourselves involved because it's not, it's not messy when you write a check from the distance, and that's what Frank was trying to do. When you roll up your sleeves and you get close to people and you maybe get a little dirty, maybe you get a little smelly, maybe, maybe you get uncomfortable, that's okay. That's what God calls us to do. Here's another shift in thinking that we must have. Move from the masses to the individual. Frank got connected to a man who came to the the soup kitchen. And you might remember that face. He was in last week's episode when Frank had this dream. He really was the lawyer in the dream. But he recognized that this was a man who had a life, who had fears, who had struggles. And the fact that he took time to be with him made a difference. We've got to move from the masses to the individual because the masses are overwhelming. If I told you that there's billions of people in the world that are um, homeless or starving and need of food... It's just like mind-boggling. I can't picture millions of people. But you can picture one face. You can picture one person. You can't make a difference for everybody, but you can make a difference for that person. It's like that boy who was walking along a beach, and the, the, the um, tide had washed in all these starfish. And so he was walking along, picking up a starfish, and he'd look at it, and then he'd fling it out back into the ocean. And, and one of the, the, the persons on the beach said, Son, you're never going to make much of a difference. And the little boy kind of ignored that man, picked up the next starfish and said, makes a difference for this one, and threw it out there. I think that's the mentality we have to have. I can't make a difference in the whole world. I can't solve poverty for the whole world, but I can make a difference for one person. I can make a difference for one family. I can help one person who's in need. I have the ability and the power and the position to do that very thing. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is told a story about two kinds of people. On one side are those who are oblivious to the needs around them. They're almost clueless to the fact there are people with great needs, homeless, without clothing, in prison, sick, whatever it is. They're just kind of clueless to it. There's another group of people who are very tuned in to the needs of others, but they don't see themselves as heroes. They, They almost see their life as, that's just part of what I do as a person, as another human, as I help meet the needs of others. And so Jesus described in this parable a conversation he has with the people who actually do help. He says, the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? 
And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did for one, even one, you did for me. Those that write fundraising appeal letters have learned that there's power in the personal. You can quote all, all kinds of stats of the needs of the, of the homeless and the impoverished and, and those in prison. And you can write all kinds of statistics, but they just are overwhelming. But what they found is when you put an actual face to it, all of a sudden hearts are stirred. For example, if I told you that there's millions of people who are hungry today, that may not mean a whole lot. But if I told you this, there's a lady that someone in our church knows. Her name is Ramona. She's raising three young children by herself. She works a full-time job and sometimes bakes tamales on the side just so she can put her kids in school, put clothes on their back and, and some food on the table. Sometimes she doesn't do as well. And so those, those children go to bed hungry. In fact, their youngest child, Angelina, sometimes has been found eating the scraps the neighbors throw to their dogs because she's so hungry. And so, folks, today after service, we're just going to pass some buckets around. And if you'd like to help Ramona out, just put something in, whatever you can. Put in the bucket, and we'll go today and deliver it to her. You know what? I know you guys. You guys would respond. There'd be thousands of dollars gathered right here because there's a face. All of a sudden, we start saying, oh, my, there's a mom with three kids. I get that. I understand that. There's a face on poverty. We've got to move from the masses to the individual to see the actual people that God's called us to serve. We're called to save the lost. We're called to serve the least. Several years ago, when we started doing these Thanksgiving baskets, I remember the first time we did it, we just accumulated all kinds of canned goods and, and uh, stuffing and cranberries and pies and turkeys. We put them all in, in tubs. And then they were delivered to a place who then delivered them to people in need. And then a few years later, we had this idea. What if we got to know who these families were and actually could have a relationship with them? And so the schools agreed as they gave us names to allow us to make contact with these families. And so those of us who adopted families actually got to know that family by name, pray for that family. And if we wanted to, we could actually deliver the basket or the box of food to that family. And I remember going to a couple homes that year and knocking on the door, ringing their doorbell and coming to the door and having them open it and look inside and see the see the kids and see the aunt and uncle or the, or the mom or dad that's living in this house with them and saying, happy Thanksgiving and bring this big box and placing it on their, their kitchen table. That relationship is very significant. People are blessed when we give them things, but they are really blessed when we show personally we care about them, that they matter as people. Shift in thinking from the masses to the individual. And here's one other change that, this, um, that I think this story points to. That we need to adopt God's view of poverty and wealth. Because as we're watching this story unfold week after week, uh, what you're starting to see is this. Here's a man who's very wealthy financially. He's got a big house, got a pool, huge retirement account. And yet, we're starting to notice there's something lacking in his life. There's a kind of poverty about his soul. And at the same time, we're watching this very joyful gardener named Ray who came out of a homeless background who doesn't have a lot of money, and yet he seems to be the rich one in the story. It's because he's adopting kingdom economics. Go back to the, that verse from 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. Now think about it. Has there ever been anybody as rich as Jesus? He made the whole world. Every star, every ocean, every mountain, the scripture says everything in the world and all the people in it belong to him. Cattle on a thousand hills, that's all Jesus's. Everything belongs to him. He doesn't lack for anything. He's, he's a rich Jesus. And for eternity, angels have been worshiping him in glory. But he was stripped of that when he became a man, set it aside, came and walked this earth in a very humble state as not just any old man, but a servant. And as he walked through this life on earth, you, you read very little about what Jesus possessed financially. In, in fact, Jesus once told a man who was, was thinking about following him, he says, you know, the, the birds have nests and the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. And when Jesus was led to the cross to be crucified, his possessions were the garments on his back, and the soldiers stole those from him, divided them among themselves. If you look at, at, at Jesus' financial status, he wasn't wealthy. I know sometimes people try to, try to distort scriptures and give Jesus somehow he was this kingly man that had all kinds of wealth, but it's not true. It's not true of most believers in the world who, who love the Lord. God does bless some people with financial wealth and holds them responsible for how they do it. But a lot of believers, like Jesus, go through with very meager things, but it doesn't mean they're poor. Because Jesus' poverty... And wealth is very different than what we think. Because Jesus' descent into poverty wasn't primarily financial. It was spiritual. Because here's what Jesus did. Jesus, who is worshipped in glory, pure, blameless, son of God, took the guilt and shame of every single murderer, idolater, adulterer, greedy person, perverted person, child abuser, drug addict, bank thief, everything, Every sin of mankind was put on Jesus, and Jesus was spiritually poor before his father, so much that his father turned his back against him. And Jesus took all that upon himself, this acquired poverty syndrome. He, he willingly took it all upon himself, this weight, this spiritual poverty. He had no standing before God with all that sin upon himself, but proved that his life, his body was sufficient as a sacrifice for that, gave himself. And in that poverty... In taking that upon himself, he take, took your shame, my shame, our guilt upon himself. He then turned around and blessed us, made us rich. In fact, the Bible talks about the riches of Christ that are ours. The adoption as sons. The royal status we have before the Father. How we can come boldly before his throne without any fear. How he's given us this, this promise of eternal life in heaven with him. How he gives his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. How he gives us gifts in which to serve. God has enriched us in so many ways. We are spiritually rich because of Jesus' poverty. So much so that we now can imitate Jesus. And being willing to descend down the ladder to bless other people. To enrich the lives of others. See, there's a different kind of economics in the kingdom that the world doesn't get. God spoke through an angel to a church in Smyrna, and John writes it down in the book of Revelation. Listen to what he says. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. There's a kind of wealth that's not associated with your physical health and, and your bank accounts. It's a wealth that comes through Christ. And some of you, that's really good news because you're in a position in life where your, your income's limited. Or you're at a minimum paying job, or you're on Social Security or pension or whatever, and you say, 
Pastor, that's all I'll ever be, and I'm never going to be rich. But I want to tell you, you can be phenomenally rich in Christ. And for some of us who've taken confidence in our wealth and our bank accounts and, and the nice homes and the cars and, and everything that money can buy, we very well could be the poorest people among us if we don't get this principle right. Because the richest people are, are seen not by what they have, but what, what they, with what they do with what they have. And Ray alluded to that when he shared a scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul's writing to a young pastor, and he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. And to be rich how? Rich in good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, he says, they will lay up for themselves, treasure for themselves, as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Those that are living the fullest life are those who are the richest in good deeds, who've learned to be generous and are willing to share. So God's called us to serve others. God's called us to see the individual. God's called us to think with kingdom economics, what real spiritual wealth is. It's in what Jesus does through us for the sake of others. I remember reading years ago this and a comic strip, a dialogue between two characters. And one says, sometimes I would like to ask God why he allows poverty, suffering, and injustice when he could do something about it. And his friend says, well, why don't you ask him? The first person says, because I'm afraid he might ask me the same questions. Why do you see poverty and injustice and don't do anything about it. Does God position you and me to do something about it? And I would say, yes, he has. Yes, he has. That's why we provide these opportunities for us to respond to the needs around us. God wants us to learn to serve. Generosity is a characteristic of a Christ follower. And that's why we're trying to cultivate within us. And opportunities just allow us an expression of that generosity. Our staff on um, in, in a week from this coming Wednesday is going to go out in the community and serve in the morning and, and just show the community. We love the community. And we want to give back to the community. And we've been encouraging you to take these little cards like this that are out at the Welcome Center. They're just like little business cards, but on the back it says, Be Generous CS. And what we want to create is a culture in our, in our city, right down here in the Fountain Valley, a culture of generosity where we don't give as a gimmick and we don't give just because it's November or just because it's Christmas or Thanksgiving. We, we give because Christ gave to us. And so there might be a neighbor that you can help. There might be someone down the street or a coworker or a fellow student at school that you know has a need and you want to help. Maybe you want to pay for the, the person behind you at the coffee shop or the person in front of you at the, at the McDonald's or pay the bill from someone at a restaurant that you says, we just want to be generous. Hand them a card like this. And what they can do then is, is look at the website on the back or they can leave a message. They can tell the story of what they experienced at this hashtag, Be Generous CS. Because generosity ought to be just part of our lives. Ought to be part of every person's life. 